greet you this morning in the name of the one who went all the way to Calvary for us. Beautiful song. It's a privilege to address you this morning and um, thinking of all the students and the faculty here and the blessing that Bible school is and has been, continues to be. The title for my message this morning is a little bit of a long title. How does my relationship to God's word affect my relationship to God? We hear much talk today about relationships and relationships are important. Um, the theme of our Bible school this year is respect and trust. And without respect and trust, there cannot be a relationship. And so that's a very important and a pertinent theme. <clears throat> but when we think of God, which is especially uh, what I want to think about this morning, our relationship with God, I think probably we would put the word reverence in there in, along with the word respect, a reverence and, a, and trust in God, because God is sovereign. Many people proclaim a relationship with God, but then as we observe their life, um, we see a little difference between them and society around them, as far as their appearance, their pursuits, uh, daily life patterns, uh, not a whole lot of difference. It's popular today to say that Christianity is a relationship and not a religion. Well, there's always a grain of truth in most things, and I think there probably is a grain of truth in that as well. But it all depends on what you mean when you say that Christianity is a relationship and not a religion. <clears throat> Does that mean that our creed, our uh, social mores, our basic lifestyle choices uh, should not affect our relationship with God because our heart is right. Our heart is in the right place. And so what we believe and what we do and how we live is really not that important. Our perspective of what defines a child of God or a child of this world uh, can and does sometimes become somewhat confused. Well, we're not necessarily called to judge those who aren't exactly like us. Uh, and so I don't want to, uh, to do that, um, to set myself up as a judge. <clears throat> but we do have the Word of God, and the Word of God uh, <clears throat> is, um, is the guide of our life. And the Lord uh, says that, that He is not going to judge but the word that he has spoken is going to judge. And so um, uh, what, uh, what does constitute God in us or what makes us a child of this world? <clears throat> so who is it that the Bible declares as the one who has a relationship with Christ and with God? Who is that person that has a true relationship with Christ and with God, which so many people want to claim or declare, uh, even with a big question mark maybe hanging over their head because of their lifestyle choices. 
Well, we have an answer to that in John chapter 14, verse 21, where Jesus says, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. So here we have a love relationship that's going both ways. We have our love to him and his love to us, and it's, uh, it's uh, uh, determined or proven by the fact that we keep his word, we, we, uh, we have his commandments and keep them, and then uh, we have that two-way relationship that uh, he concludes by saying, I will manifest myself to him. In other words, those who keep the word are the ones who are going to receive uh, instruction. They're going to receive the, um, the uh, word of the spirit. They're going to receive the word of God. They're, uh, he will manifest himself to those who are keeping his word. To those who are not, the um, obvious uh, result of that is that uh, probably they're not as open to it and will not receive it as well. So since the Bible does not actually use the word relationship to describe our relationship with God, we want to look at some words that are actually biblical terms that describe our relationship with God. I have four of them here. The first is that of a disciple. What is a disciple? A disciple is a follower of Jesus. A disciple is a student, an imitator. He is learning, he is replicating, and he is propagating the, um, uh, the uh, uh, word of his master, what he has learned from him, and uh, he is taking that out to the others around him. <clears throat> he is identified as a disciple of Jesus Christ by his um, uh, close association with him as a disciple. The second one is that of a servant. Now, uh, that's a, another aspect of relationship. And so what is a servant? In the Bible, most cases where in the New Testament, where it uses the word servant, it is talking actually about a slave or an indentured servant, one who is actually bought with money or uh, is fulfilling a debt. Uh, today, we would probably think of it more on the terms of a employer-employee relationship where the employer is paying you and you're responsible to do things the way he asks you to do them. And so in that aspect, we think of a servant as one who always puts his master first, seeks the welfare of his master's household. And uh, Paul, Paul refers to himself as a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul was not bought with money. He was bought with blood. And that is the case for all of us who are truly born-again Christians. We are purchased uh, with a price, and that price is the blood of Jesus Christ. We are bought with his blood, and so uh, we are his servants. <clears throat> uh, Jesus says in, Ma in Luke chapter 17, verse 10, So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, 
We are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. So that is now the relationship of a servant. The next one is that of a friend. So we're getting closer all the time, aren't we? We're getting closer all the time. And so uh, that uh, word description of a friend of the Lord brings us into more of an intimate relationship even than a servant. Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse 14 and 6 to 16, Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord does. In other words, he just does what, the servant just does what the master says and doesn't ask any questions. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit. So a friend is one who brings forth fruit um, and uh, has an intimate relationship with the Lord, not a servant, but a friend. And so now you are bringing forth fruit, not because you are obligated as a servant, but because you're doing it as a friend. You're doing it from the heart because you love the Lord. You're his friend and you want to please him. And then... Um, uh, we come to the next level, which is even much more intimate than a friend, and that is a son. Galatians 4, verse 5 and 5 through 7, that we might receive the adoption of sons, and because ye are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son, and if ye son, then an heir of God through Christ. So, okay, now we've come from the level of a servant to a son. And uh, uh, Paul gives us a, a glimpse here of what makes us or what constitutes or what brings us into sonship with God. In 2 Corinthians 6, 17 and 18, very familiar verses to you, and they should be familiar. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and, you will, be a, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Come out and be separate. And so, what does that mean to us? Uh, especially as it relates to how we conduct ourselves, our lifestyle choices, our appearance, um, the places we go, the things we do. You answer that question. Now, I, uh, I'm going to go to the Old Testament. How many of you brought your Bibles along? Good, good. I was hoping I would see that. Uh, we, uh, when we are studying the Word of God together, it's a good, good for us to have our Bibles with us. And so this morning you can turn to Matt or to Exodus chapter 13. We're going to the Old Testament to confirm what constitutes a relationship with God through obedience to his word. Is it correct to say the more scriptural we are, the more spiritual we are? Is that a correct saying? The more scriptural and spiritual, the closer we are to God. 
The less scriptural and spiritual, the further away we are from God. Is that, is that right? Well, we're going to get to the Old Testament to answer uh, those questions. And I'm doing this partly for the benefit of my, my uh, Types and Shadows class, so you listen especially. Um, because uh, we're going to go to the types in the Old Testament to answer that question. But I want to uh, also emphasize at this point that obedience without relationship can become legalism. Just doing it because I want to fit in or without really my heart being into it, that, that becomes legalism. So obedience itself is not necessarily an indication that I'm spiritual or that I have a relationship with God. But my, uh, my uh, attention to the word of God and my obedience to it is a pre prerequisite for relationship with God. Israel, in their wilderness journey, is a type of the, uh, of the Christian's earthly pilgrimage. When they crossed, after they crossed the Red Sea and started out into the wilderness those 40 years as a type of uh, our, our uh, uh, journey through this life. The number 40 is a number of testing. And so for 40 years, and how many times does God say, I am doing this to prove you and to see whether you will obey or not? And that's kind of what's happening to us here as well. It's a, a time of proving and testing and, uh, and hopefully strengthening our faith because we always discover that God is faithful in everything he, uh, he takes us through. He's always there to help us. And so uh, all of these people that entered into this wilderness journey had seen the miracles in Egypt. They had seen, they had passed through the Red Sea, that tremendous miracle, the most oft-repeated uh, account in the Bible is the crossing of the Red Sea. It was a tremendous, outstanding miracle and it has lots of significance. Um, and, um, but uh, the Bible tells us that with many of them, God was not well pleased because they fell by the wayside and many of them never made it into Canaan. And Paul says that uh, these things are given for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come, that, uh, um, and he says um, that we would, uh, if we think we stand, that we should take heed lest we fall. And so uh, that's, uh, that's the purpose of, of a lot of these Old Testament uh, illustrations and types is just a warning to us to, to faithfulness. Okay, so they came out of Egypt, but for many of them, too many of them, Egypt didn't come out of them. They still had Egypt in their heart. And they continued to look back to Egypt and to say, well, you know, we had it pretty nice back there, actually. And uh, it, we're just about ready to go back to Egypt again. And so... Here in uh, chapter 16 of Exodus, we have God uh, answering their need for something to eat. They had now been uh, wandering in the uh, wilderness for about two and a half months, and their food supplies were running out, and they were getting hungry. And um, 
In chapter 16, verse 3, the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots, and when we did eat bread to the full. For ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Now, uh, uh, manna from heaven and water from the rock was God's antidote for their hunger and thirst in this barren desert land. But our focus this morning is going to be on the manna, which is a symbol of the word of God and of Jesus, the living bread that came down from God out of heaven. Uh, in uh, verse 31 of this same chapter, he says, And the house of Israel called the name thereof manna, and it was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Doesn't sound too bad, does it? Actually, it sounds kind of good. Um, and so it was not something unpleasant to eat. It was not like taking medicine or something like that that had a bitter taste. It was, it was good to the taste. And then uh, in verse um, 35, it says, The children of Israel did eat manna 40 years until they came to the land inhabited. They did eat manna until the day they came into the borders of Canaan. So this is what they had to eat through the as they journeyed through the wilderness. It was there every day. It never stopped. Even when they murmured and complained, uh, God did not take away the manna. Now let's turn our Bibles to Numbers chapter 11. And here's where I'd like to take the rest of the message. Numbers chapter 11 is an example of some of the uh, truths that we can get as we study the uh, types of the Old Testament. You know, we can read through these, and this is an interesting Bible story. But there's a lot more behind this than just an interesting account of what happened to the children of Israel. There's something here for us, remember? Paul said that it's given for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. So let's, let's use it in that way. Um, so here in uh, Numbers chapter 11, we'll begin at verse 4. Uh, not time for a lot of background here. But it talks here about the mixed multitude that was among them, fell a lusting, and the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? Now the mixed multitude were those who were of mixed parentage, say maybe half Egyptian or part Egyptian and part uh, Israeli. And so they were the mixed multitude that had come out with Israel as well. They also had survived by applying the blood to the doorposts and by crossing through the Red Sea. And they were now on the wilderness journey with the children of Israel, but they were a mixed multitude. In other words, there's not anything wrong with being of mixed heritage, but what was wrong here was that uh, there was enough Egyptian in them that um, it still Egypt still seemed kind of a nice place to be. Egypt is a type of the world in, uh, in types, and so remember that. And so uh, it says they fell a-lusting, and uh, they said, who shall give us flesh to eat? Um, now, when we talk about flesh here, we're going to talk about the same thing that, we, that uses that same word in the New Testament, where it talks about the battle between the flesh and the spirit. And so they were desiring flesh. And uh, 
They were hankering after the things back there in Egypt, the things of the world. That's kind of where their heart was and that's where their mind went. And they said, give us flesh to eat. Because they said, we remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, and the onions and the garlic. And so um, Jesus says, you know, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So where is our treasure? Is our treasure found in the things of God? Is that what we really value and esteem? Or do we kind of hanker after the things back there in Egypt, what the world has to offer? You know, it has a certain appeal to us, and, and uh, that's kind of where, uh, where our heart wants to go. Well, where your treasure is, there will your heart be, and that's evidently what their problem was here. And then they continued there in, uh, in verse 6. It says, but now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all beside this manna before our eyes. So what is happening with this wonderful manna, this manna that tasted like wafers uh, and honey? Um, it was kind of losing its appeal, wasn't it? Yeah, they were tired of it. They, didn't, they really didn't care for it anymore. They wanted what Egypt had to offer. And so um, and that's what their complaint was. And, and um, uh, let's see here in, um, <clears throat> in Psalm 106, verse 14, he talks about that. He addresses that in the Psalms. He says, he gave them their request, but he sent leanness to their soul. And, you know, it works that way. You can't have it both ways. You cannot have a relationship with God and be close to his word and uh, at the same time be dabbling in the things of this world. If you're going to take the world, you're going to give up um, consistent Christian practice. And, um, and so uh, you can't have it both ways. So he gave them the, their request, but he sent leanness to their soul. You know, this can happen to an individual. It can happen to congregations. Uh, it can happen to a nation. It can happen. It happens all the time, everywhere that as we move away from God, we cannot, as we move into the world and toward the world, we are going to become less and less, um, uh, the word of God and practical obedience to it is become, going to become less and less um, obvious and uh, uh, it's going to be, it's going to bring about a shallowness in our Christianity. It's going to bring about a shallowness in our congregations when we move away from biblical consistency and move toward the world. It's going to, we're going to suffer for that. It's going to bring leanness to the soul. Um, here in verse 7, it says, And the manna was as coriander seed in the color thereof as the color of bedellium. And let's see, uh, there in Psalms chapter 98, let's just turn to that, Psalm 98, it talks about that to a, a very kind of a beautiful description of what, what we're uh, going into here. Psalm chapter 98, or the 98th Psalm, uh, pardon me, 78, 78, I can't read my own writing, 78, and uh, in verse... Um, 
starting in verse 18. I'm just going to read it. Psalm 78, verse 18. And they tempted God in their heart, asking meat for their lust. Yea, they spake against God. They said, Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Behold, he smote the rock, and the waters gushed out, and the streams overflowed. Can he give bread also? Can he provide flesh for his people? Therefore the Lord heard this and was wroth. So a fire was kindled against Jacob, and and anger also came up against Israel, because they believed not in God and trusted not in his salvation. Though he had commanded the clouds from above and opened the doors of heaven, and had rained down manna upon them to eat, and had given them of the corn of heaven, man did eat angels' food. He sent them meat to the full. Well, angels' food, that sounds like something pretty nice to eat, doesn't it? It, it has a... Uh, uh, a special significance and a good, good sound to it. He caused an east wind to blow in the heaven, and by his power he brought in the south wind, and rained flesh also upon them as dust, and feathered fowls like as the sand of the sea. And he let it fall in the midst of their camp round about their habitations. They did eat and were filled, well filled, for he gave them their own desire. They were not estranged from their lust, but while their meat was yet in their mouths, the wrath of God came upon them and slew the fattest of them and smote them, smote down the chosen men of Israel. Um, so um, he gave them what they wanted, sent leanness of soul, and even to the point where some of them uh, actually perished. And we'll talk more about that as we proceed here. Verse 8. And the people went about and gathered it, the manna, and ground it in mills, or beat it in a mortar, and baked it in pans, and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was as the taste of fresh oil. Now, we had read about tasting like wafers and honey, and here it, we, it adds the fresh oil. And why does he mention the oil? Well, um, Maybe I should first of all refer to Numbers 21, which is just a few chapters later here, where again they were kind of in the same scenario and again complaining about the manna. And it says, The people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore hast thou, have ye brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they, and they bit the people. And much people of Israel died. So here it takes it to another level. Not only did they um, uh, complain against the manna, but they loathed it. They lo we loathe this light bread. They did not want to hear uh, people who are become that uh, far removed from a true relationship with God are going to find many other things to substitute the real. Uh, there will be hot dogs and hamburgers and ball games and all these kind of things that are supposed to build relationship and a moving away from true preaching and teaching and exposure to the word of God. Um, and so uh, it's kind of a progression. And here it says that, uh, that it tasted like fresh oil. Well, oil in the, holy, in, the, uh, in the scripture is always a type of the Holy Spirit. And so, what does that tell us? Peter says, The prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved 
by the Holy Ghost. Well, has that changed in the New Testament? I don't think so. I think the Holy Ghost is still the, uh, the author of our Bible, and he is responsible for, for putting all these things in the Word that are an admonition to us and that um, will help us in our relationship with God. He has come to draw us toward God. And so uh, uh, this manna had the taste of fresh oil. It, was, it is a type of the Word of God, and our, our desire for it, our hunger for it, our appreciation of it. Job says it this way. He says, and, uh, you know, did, did Job have a relationship with God? Um, he obviously had a very close relationship with God, so close that God was not afraid to use him as an example of faithfulness, even in severe trial. He says, he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. My foot hath held his steps. His way have I kept and not declined. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. And that, I think, is the secret of Job's close relationship with God. And it's our secret as well. <clears throat> so he says, and when the dew fell upon the camp in the night, a man, manna fell upon it. And so we'll continue now from verse 10. Then Moses heard the people weep throughout all their families, every man in the door of his tent, and the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly. Moses also was displeased, and Moses said unto the Lord, Wherefore hast thou afflicted thy servant, and wherefore have I not found favor in thy sight, that thou layest this burden of all this people upon me? Have I conceived all this people? Have I begotten them? That thou shouldest say unto me, Carry them in thy bosom as a nursing father beareth a sucking child, or unto the land which thou swearest unto their fathers? When should I have flesh to give unto all these people? For they weep unto me, saying, Give us flesh that we may eat. I am not able to bear all these people alone, because it is too heavy for me. And if thou deal thus with me, kill me, I pray thee out of hand, if I have found favor in thy sight, and let me not see my wretchedness. And the Lord said unto Moses, Gather unto me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom thou knowest to be elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them unto the tabernacle of the congregation, that they may stand there with, with thee. And I will come down, will talk with thee, and I will take of the spirit which is upon thee, and will give it, and will put it upon them. Okay, I'm going to stop right there. Uh, Moses is a type of Christ, our mediator. And, uh, and so he says he's going to take the spirit of Christ, and put it on these 70 elders. And they shall bear the burden of the people with thee, and thou, that thou bear it not thyself alone. Now God does have those faithful people who are called to be his servants. They might be preachers, they might not be preachers, but they are people who are standing with God and standing up for the truth and keeping his commandments and and. Uh, being disciples and servants and friends and sons and uh, doing their faithful work. And say unto the people, Sanctify yourselves against tomorrow, and ye shall eat flesh. For ye have wept in the ears of the Lord, saying, Who shall give us flesh to eat? For it was well with us in Egypt. Um, now, the, the fact of the matter is that flesh is available if we want it. 
If you want it, nobody is going to stop you from having it. Um, it's all around us, and we're going to see that a little bit more as we go on. But um, it's there if we want it. We can have it. In Romans chapter 1, verse 28, it says, And even as they did not retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which were not convenient. He didn't stop them. Uh, if that's what they wanted, that's what they could have. But uh, along with that, it says, you, do, you shall not eat one day, nor two days, nor five days, neither ten days, nor twenty days, but even a whole month until, you come, until it come out of your nostrils, and it be loathsome unto you, because that ye have despised the Lord which is among you, and have wept before him, saying, Why came we forth out of Egypt? Uh, again, Paul says it this way in Galatians uh, he says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. If we sow to the flesh, we will over the flesh reap corruption. If we sow to the Spirit, we shall reap life everlasting. So there is that law of sowing and reaping, even though we are not, our choice is not interfered with, the consequences we cannot control. And Moses said, The people among whom I am are 600,000 footmen, and thou hast said, I will give them flesh, that they may eat a whole month. Um, I'm going to drop down now to verse 24. And Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord and gathered the 70 men of the elders of the people and set them round about the tabernacle. Now, the tabernacle is a type of the New Testament church, the true church. And so we have these 70 men who are now gathered around the tabernacle. And um, uh, Paul again says it this way, We are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, another buildeth thereon, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And so um, I think that's significant, that God calls those who will stand around the tabernacle and proclaim his truth. Um, the Lord came down in a cloud and spake unto him and took the spirit that was upon him and gave it unto the seventy elders. And it came to pass that when the spirit rested upon them that they prophesied. Uh, I'm going to skip on down uh, for the uh, sake of time. Um, down to verse uh, 29. And Moses said unto him, Envious thou for my sake? Would God that all the Lord's people were prophets. There some of those they had prophesied, and even those that were back in their tents and not, hadn't come out prophesied as well. That the Lord would put his spirit upon them. And uh, there in Romans 8, verses 1 to 5, There is therefore now, now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of law, law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, they that are after the spirit the things of the spirit. And so um, he says he will put his spirit upon them, and those are the ones who are walking in the spirit and not in the flesh, who have the spirit of Christ on them. 
Verse 31, And there went forth a wind from the Lord, and brought quails from the sea, and let them fly by the camp as it were a day's journey on this side, and as day's journey on the other side, round about the camp, and as it were two cubits high upon the face of the earth. Okay, so God said, you want flesh? I'll give you flesh. And so what is a day's journey? What, how far can you walk in a day? 20 miles? Is that too far? Maybe 15, 10 miles? Even 10 miles. I can't see that far. It's beyond. It's, so as far as you see, everywhere around you, there's quail. And, uh, and they're coming in at two cubits. Uh, two, a cubit is about a foot and a half, so you have about three feet. Okay, that puts it right here. That's about right here, somewhere in here. Uh, very convenient. Just reach out, grab them. You can have all you want. It's yours for the taking. And, uh, well, you know, when they went out to get to the manna, they had to stoop down on the ground. And they had to pick it up off of the ground and put it in their uh, vessels. And, and it's, I think, you know, speaking to us about humility. If we receive the word of God with humility, then uh, we can uh, benefit from it. But the flesh comes in right here. It's convenient. It's easy. Just take in it all you want. It's there for the taking. It's there. And it's as far as you can see. It's all around us. We're in this world that has uh, everything you desire. Everything the flesh desires is there for us if we want it. I'm going to conclude here with uh, the last couple of verses. Um, and while the flesh was yet between their teeth, ere it was chewed, the wrath of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord smote the people with a very great plague. And he called the name of the place uh, Kerbath Hatava, because there they buried the people that lusted. For to be carnally minded is death, and to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Do we believe that? A real relationship with God is centered around our obedience to his word that we are doing and living uh, because we love him who first loved us. If we live after the flesh, we shall die. But if we through the spirit demortify the deeds of the flesh, we shall live. Tremendous truth. God bless you today as you go about your classes and uh, trusting that as we take the word of God, study it, that we receive it, and uh, we don't consider it uh, light material, but it uh, pertains to our salvation. God bless you.